On today's episode of Brad and Will, we're going to be discussing the past four games, Auburn Shangoon finally being used as the offensive hub, and is Steven Silas the head coach of the future for this team. So stay tuned. Right, and welcome back to another episode of the Brad and Will Show. I'm your first host, Will. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Bias Houston. Over there, we've been doing a lot of the post-game spaces. We've been talking about the games all day, every day, talking um, about these players. So if you're interested in anything Rockets-related, uh, Houston sports-related, please hit us up over there. Uh, quickly shout out Brad and Will on YouTube, Instagram, and uh, Twitter as well. Make sure you guys continue to follow. Uh, leave your uh, comments, your likes, and subscribe. We really appreciate the support on that front. Um, and with that, I'll pass up to Brad. Look at me on mute. As always, I'm your other host, Brad. Uh, you can catch me on Instagram and Twitter at BradOMBA. All your favorite stats, highlights, always have you covered there. And today we have a guest, James. Uh, James, it's great to finally have you on the show. Uh, let our listeners know where they can find you on social media. Yeah, I'm really glad we could finally make this work, man. Uh, yeah, listeners can find me writing about the Rockets on uh, thedreamshake.com. I also write fake trade proposals for nbaanalysis.net. Uh, I co-host a podcast called Above the Break with uh, NB Lindenberg, the most popular man on Rockets Twitter. And, I want to say uh, he has me blocked. <laughs> I didn't mean to cut you off, but I, I think he has me blocked. I mean, no, that's that, was, that wouldn't surprise me in the least. Yeah, no, he's he's pretty much got everybody blocked. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, you he know, he's, he's my guy, but it, it, it is what it is. And uh, also, of course, check me out with the Chop Shop, which is just like a cohort of Rockets fans talking Rockets all the time. Yeah. Thanks Great for having me over there. I will say, James, this is, we have been trying to, uh, I think it's like the third time we tried to have you on the show. So I'm glad we were finally able to uh, to make it work. But I guess part of what makes uh, scheduling you so interesting compared to the, our usual guests is you're not from Houston. Uh, you live in Canada. Uh, so I think you can kind of provide a unique perspective on what it's like being uh, a foreign Rockets fan, someone who doesn't live, not just in, in America, I mean, not in Houston, not in America, but like you live in Canada. So like, what is that like for you? What is it like being a Rockets fan, not even in in the America, like, what, what is that like for you? Yeah, it's funny, man. So, I mean, I'm, I'm in Canada, uh, St. John's, Newfoundland, Canada, to be exact. So, like, 70% of my friends are Raptors fans. And then the other, like, 30% are pretty much Lakers fans uh, who bandwagoned on the Lakers. You know, I'm 35. So, like, back back when they were going back to back with Shaq and Kobe, uh, a few of my guys hopped on, hopped on that train. So, I'm the only Rockets fan out of any person I've ever met in real life. Like, like I can literally say I've never met oh, wow. another Rockets fan in real life. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know what took me so long to, to hop on Rockets Twitter. I've really only been around for like, I guess a year and a half. Uh, but it's been really cool to like meet people and talk to Rockets fans. You know, it's, it's, it's been a really cool experience because prior to that, it was just kind of like my own little personal thing, man. I, I don't know. It's, I've been a Rockets fan since I was like eight years old. I just kind of picked them randomly, you know. I, I, I liked the blue pinstripe jerseys. I think that was the most of the appeal for me back then. I know a lot of people don't like those jerseys, so it's, it's kind of like that's the one that uh, I can see why you did that, James. That's good. Yeah, I loved when I was eight. That for sure, you know. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Do you ever uh, plan to, uh, I guess, come to a Toyota Center one day for a Rockets game? Like, you know, is is that something you plan to do one day? Yeah, I, I, I would love to. I definitely would like to do that someday. Um, 
you know, I guess it's not maybe on the top of my priorities list. Like I, I, I got to get my rent paid, you know, and, uh, and, and all those sorts of things. Right. But, and, uh, yeah, it's definitely something I would love to do someday. It's, it'd be a really cool experience. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Well, we can jump right into it. Like, like Brad said, we have a couple of games to recap here. Actually, a lot to talk about uh, that's happened in these last this last week or so uh, in the Houston Rockets. So, uh, first and foremost, we'll talk about um, we'll quickly knock out the KPJ tie. We kind of ended last episode, kind of talking about is he a point guard? Is he not a point guard? Um, and over these last couple of games, he's been he's been putting up uh, like a, a pretty solid stat line or somewhere in the ballpark. Of, I want to say like twenty five and five or somewhere in that range. These last two games. Uh, so, James, what are your thoughts on Kevin Porter Jr.'s play these last couple games? Um, I'm sorry, not these last two games. I'm sorry, this was the his his Jazz and uh, Suns games, right? So, how did how do you, what are your what are your thoughts on him? Um, you know, just these last few games in general, just just as a yeah. player, as a point guard, whatever you whatever. What are your thoughts? You know, it's it's funny, man, and I feel like people some people won't love this, but I I liked what I saw from him last night. To be honest with you, even though statistically he had a bit of a weaker game than he's been having recently. He only dropped 13 and five, I think. But I, I thought he was finding corner shooters and, 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 you know, shooters on the elbow and like making reads and, and also deferring to teammates and stuff, which like to me is point guard stuff. You know, I, I think the kid is obviously ridiculously talented. Like there's, there's, you, you can't dispute his talent. Um, and I don't even really worry about the, the, personal stuff although of course i'm not in the locker room i don't know what it all looks like but like to my read from the outside looking in he seems like a good kid with some problems you know i just don't know for sure that that he's necessarily a point guard but he can definitely score he can definitely get buckets um i just think that our offense looks really disorganized and and as much as i think a lot of that does fall on silas whether by design or or by accident it's there's got to be somebody on the floor that, that can you know, bring a little cohesion and, and, and distribute and get guys involved. And I don't really see that as being Porter Jr.'s game, to be completely honest. You know, that's just that's just how I feel. Like, like I like him. I really like him as a player. I think he's a starting caliber player, but I, I just, I'm not quite sure. And let me say this too. I, I understand that, like, you know, there's this idea that a modern point guard can be score first, and I agree with that. But I still think that you need to be able to quickly read a defense and react to it, to, to be like a lead ball handler, you know? So, yeah, I like what I see from him. But if I'm looking at it from the lens of, like, is he a point guard, I like it less, you know? Yeah, no, I, I definitely hear that. On the topic of Kevin, I think he's been playing really good this season. I'd go as far to say he's probably been the Rockets' best player this season. Yeah. Now, is he a point guard conversation? That's what, you know, it sparks some interest in most people's minds. I think James is right. You know, the stat line isn't you know, eye-popping when you look at that last game against the Clippers, but I do think he played a, a good game. And when it comes to the facilitation, a lot of fans will be skeptical about him not sharing the ball as much. But the improvement, in my opinion, is definitely night and day from last season to this year. Um, at the beginning of last season, he was averaging over five turnovers a game for a while. And now he's cut that for sure. He's like, just little things. Like, he's going to do his reads better, making better decisions. He knows he's a score-first guy. And he's scoring a lot better than he did at the beginning of last season as well. That just goes into him learning who he is as a point guard. He's a score-first guy. And we'll say it time and time again, he'll never be a a pass first point guard, he's a score first, facilitate second kind of guy. So once he finds his niche, that's when he'll really take off um, as a point guard. Um, and he's starting to find it. Um, he's averaging 26 and five, only 13 players in the NBA, including himself, average 26 and five. So shout out to Kevin there. I personally believe he's playing good basketball. He's only going to improve. The efficiency should look better. Um, he's been shooting a lot better from two point range. Uh, a lot of floaters that have been nice. 
in between game has looked a little better. Um, I, I think he's being more decisive, which is most important for Kevin. So I've been thoroughly impressed uh, by him more so than any other, not any other Rocks fan, but a lot of fans, you know, people are skeptical of Kevin at the end of the day. Um, so like everyone knows he's a talented guy, as James mentioned. It's just, I don't, they're like, I don't want to see him play point. Um, hey, and we'll talk about Alfred Shangun later in the segment. And I think he does need to have the ball a little bit more, but I think Kevin's doing his job pretty well. I mean, I, I think I think I've made uh, my stance on escape a point guard pretty clear on the show on the TL. Um, so I won't rehash that out, but I do think he's played pretty. I think he's like by Brad and uh, James said, I think he's been the best player, uh, the most consistent player for the Rockets um, this season. And, and I think it's also like night and day how much better this team operates when he's on the floor and when he's not. And whether that be a, a representation, of how good he is and, and how good. Uh, the unit that doesn't play with them is like, I guess that could also be a, um, a point which we're definitely going to talk about later in the show. Um, but I do think the team does play better when he's on the floor than when it, uh, than when he's not on the floor. Um, and then like, if, if we want to get into the semantics of easy to point, I think we kind of talked about this on the last episode and somewhat a little bit on like the T on some spaces is like, I think a lot of the, the confusion comes down to, um, do we think Kevin Porter Jr. is a primary ball handler on a championship winning team? And I think that all three of us in this call probably say he's more of a secondary than a primary. Um, and like, that's, I think that's probably fine. Uh, that's probably more of what his game's going to be anyway. So I'm cool with that. Um, so I, I think a lot of the discussion about, is he a point guard? Is he not? I, we, we're going to debate that all season long. Um, but I, what I think we can't debate is that he's a good basketball player um, and that, you know, Houston loves him. He just inked the new contract extension. It's going to hopefully keep him here. Um, for the next four years or so. Um, and like I said, he's a, he's a great basketball player. So being able to to have a guy like that, whether it's at the point guard, the shooting guard, the small forward, as a six man off the bench, I mean, wherever we find a, a role for him in this team, um, I'm, I'm happy that he's going to be here in some, some capacity. But to kind of segue into the next point um, about kind of somebody who's going to help make Kevin Porter Jr.'s job a little bit easier, as Brad kind of hinted on, it's Alperen Shingun. Um, last time I'm going to pull up his stats real quick from last night's game. Nothing too eye-popping. But he did look pretty well against the Clippers. Um, give me one second. Against the Clippers, he put up. Um, give me one more second here. I'm going to pull up these stats. All right. Against the Clippers, he put up 14 points and nine rebounds. I believe he had, yes, he had a block in there. Um, he was 4 from the field. And I think most importantly, he was 6 from the free throw line, something he's kind of struggled at. So, um, James, what are your thoughts on, you know, Alperen Shingun's game this last couple of games and just kind of the the, the idea that they, they used him as a hub last night. I mean, a lot of the offense is running through him. I think it looked pretty good. So what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So it's 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 interesting, right? Because Shingun, uh, if if he's able to be effective, I basically, Will, this picks up on what you were saying. It, it, it disqualifies the need for Kevin Porter Jr. to be like a point guard, so to speak, right? Because Shingun can be the facilitator or like the, the primary ball handler, which sounds weird to say when you're going to run it through the low block, but like it, it, at least the primary playmaker, right? Like the, the hub, essentially. So I think the big question with Shangun for a lot of people, including myself, is like, can what's he going to do defensively? Because personally, in the game last night, I thought Silas subbed him out because he wasn't able to handle switches in the pick and roll, right? He can, he can really only play drop. And I, I think we tried to get a more versatile defensive line going down the stretch, which I think was the right decision, actually, myself. And so it's going to be the thing with Shangun to me is like the ceiling is really high, but the floor is kind of low because you, you might trade things off defensively and it might not be worth it unless he's like seriously like an alpha level 
superstar offensive player, you know? It's possible, though, because he's incredibly talented. And and, and if, if, if that structure works out, then nobody benefits probably more from it than Kevin Porter Jr. Because I think you said it best. Like, he's a secondary ball handler. Uh, he's one of the – by now, I think it's fair to say that Porter Jr. is one of the best shooters in the league, right? Like, like he, he's pretty much establishing, like, that. that's a fact. So, to me, I see a guy who should be operating as a catch-and-shoot and, and then attacking closeouts because he's definitely got the ball handling skills to do that as well. And all of that – really works if Shangun is a viable uh hub which i think he has the skills to be offensively but is is the trade-off defensively going to be worth it that's what remains to be seen but to answer the question directly i really like what i've been seeing from Shangun the past couple of games too he's looked really good and, and the, the more he has the ball the more he can impact the game on offense that goes in perfectly to what i was about to say um Shangun in the post this year actually has the most points per possession out of every player in the nba in the post this year and he's getting, he's doing it at a high rate. You know, when he has the ball in his hands, he has a, a frequency. I'll flip this up for you guys. 23.5 frequency in the post. That's fifth highest in the NBA. And that goes to show you this, that isn't a fluke with him being the best in post right now. He hasn't drawn any double teams yet. And that's why you need to run your offense through a guy who can draw double teams. Because if he's going to be scoring, they're not doubling him. And you saw it against a good defender in Zubak last night. He gets a lot of blocks if you ever watched Zubak play. Albert Shangun was giving him some, some tough buckets. You know, he was faking him out. And then with some dream shakes, um, some account moves, whatever you want to call it, he looked really efficient down there. And if they keep getting it to him, they're going to start doubling. It's going to open up opportunities for those four shooters that they're like to surround Shane Goon with. That's the reason why you run a four-hour one-in. If you have a guy who is that good at passing, you run your offense through him. Is that good in the post? Run your offense through him. Draw doubles and create for everybody else. That's a, a recipe for success for this Rockets team. I know they scored 95 points last game. But in my opinion, that's the best that the offense has looked. The play that I loved the most was when they gave it to Shane Goon at the top of the key, and they ran screen. Um, I think it was a smoke screen, and Jalen ended up cutting, and he lost Paul George, and Shane Goon with a nice bounce pass through traffic. Right it was like there. in the fourth quarter, I think. Yeah, just little stuff like that. You can get your other uh, best players involved through Shane Goon. Shane Goon even have a nice uh, pass to Kevin for a three. So just run through him, uh, elevate his touches. I think he had 48 touches last game, and I was third on the team. He can get even more touches than 48. I was looking at it uh, yesterday. Um, we call him a baby Jokic. Jokic gets like 96 touches a game, which is some absurd. Okay. So they can, they can up it, not to 96, but maybe like 55, 60. I just, I just want to see what it looks like because I, I really feel like it. I'll say it again. It's a recipe for success. I like what I see from him. As James touched on the defense, it does need to improve. It does lower his floor slightly, but I feel like he's working on his positioning. He's getting some some blocks here and there. Um, that's that's going to be the key with him. He's never going to be insanely athletic. He just needs to be in the right place at the right time. You're going to play drop, play good, and drop coverage. <laughs> that's what you're going to yeah. do. Yeah. Go ahead, Jim. Oh, no, sorry, man. I was just uh, agreeing strongly. <laughs> you know, like if, if, yeah, yeah, yeah. if he's limited to drop, then you got to at least do well in the drop. Yeah. 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 So, Shangun, I, I loved what I saw from him. That's what I've been preaching since that first game against the Spurs in the preseason. They finally did it. So they play the Clippers again so soon. So I want to see if they you know, stick with that same game plan. Yeah. I, I mean, I think I touched on it. Um, seeing him, this was like one of the first games or one of the most prominent games where we saw him kind of used as more of the hub offensive. A lot of the offense ran through him against the Clippers last night. And I think it looked really well when it did. Um, he was able to, like like uh, like um, Brad said, he was able to find that, that, that pass to – to Jalen Green, who uh, we're going to talk about him kind of struggling later on today. But, like, one of his buck buckets that he made yesterday 
came because Alperen Shingun kind of just spoon fed him one. And I think those are one of the things that like Alperen Shingun is going to do for not just Jalen Green, not just Kevin Porter Jr., but for Javari Smith, for KJ Martin, for a lot of these guys on this team is he, he has to have the highest IQ on this roster by far. Um, and, you know, just just allowing him to kind of, I'm not saying run the office to him like he's Jokic, entire like, you know, like, like Bryson, what is it, 96 touches or 98 touches a game? Not not that many, but like, you know, up his touches, let him be more of an offensive up, right? you know, let kind of him run the show a lot more than he does at times. Um, and then let's, you know, guys kind of feed off that. I think it's going to be good. But I think what James is kind of touching on is also important too. Uh, and it that like, I, I think the way to view Alperin Shingles, it's kind of like a balance scale, right? Like the more he gives us on the offensive end, the less I expect from him on the defensive end. That's kind of how like superstars work in the NBA is like, um, it's, it's not, they're not the same player, but like Trey Young is, I think by all accounts, one of the worst defenders, if not the worst defender in the entire NBA. Um, but it doesn't matter that he's, you know, a walking liability because the guy is like a top five offensive player in the NBA. So like because he's so good offensively, it doesn't matter that he's at the bottom defensively. And so I think it's going to kind of be the something similar with Shingun is like his biggest weakness right now that's going to limit him is like James touched on. It's like his defensive ability. Is he going to be um, getting, you know, taking advantage of on the perimeter or our team's going to fear him in the paint? Um, when you when you look at what a guy who usually is like the starting caliber center on a team that wins a championship. It usually doesn't look like a lot like Alperin Schoen. It looks a lot more like Clint Capella or like or Robert Williams is somebody who was just in the finals last year. Like it's kind of look more like that than it looks more like a, a Alperin Schoen kind of guy. But like, obviously no one's going to sit there and be like, the Denver Nuggets should should go out there and get Robert Williams over Nicole Jokic because of how good Jokic is offensively. So I think it's like I said with Schoen, it's it's a it's a give and take with him. If if he can produce at at this super duper high level offensively, which I mean. I think expecting that for pick 16 is a lot, but I think maybe we can do it. It's Alperin Shingun. Um, so if he can produce at that level, it, it's going to kind of help mitigate what he gives us on the, on the defensive end. But if he doesn't produce that level, I think that is where we're going to start having the conversation of, well, is, is he the starting center? Because, you know, if, if, if he's not that guy offensively and he's not necessarily that guy defensively, it's going to be kind of hard to play him in a, in a, in a post game. So, um, Anybody want to comment on uh on Alperin Shingun and his game or you know the long term I look at as in the center before I go to the next topic? I I would only add to that that like I, I completely agree with everything he said. I, I would add that Jokic is a really high bar, right? Right. Will we? I, you and I talked about this in the timeline. I remember distinctly, but like my concern is what if he's Demontis Sabonis? Which on the one hand, people say. You know, you got the 16th pick and you got Demontis Sabonis out of it. That's incredible. Fair enough. But I feel that Sabonis is precisely a player that you can easily build a playoff team around that you almost can't build a championship team around, you know? Because I, I would contrast him by looking at the team that won the championship this season, or well, last season, uh, with Kevon Looney at the five, who like, let's be honest, Looney is not a very skilled NBA player, right? Like he he can't shoot. I don't know if he can really throw like a one-handed pass, but he works hard. He, he's high field defensively. His positioning is great and he can survive in space and he can defend the rim. And, and that's why he's like a championship caliber starting center. Right. So like to make a player like Shangun work is difficult, but we might as well try to do it because, you know, this is the roster we have, right? Like, so I, I, I'm all on board as using him for the hub this year, but moving forward, I guess I do, I do hope the front office would look at like time lord types as well, you know. Yeah, I, I think that it's 
uh, it's important to have that optionality. Even even if we do go forward without Christian Young as starting center, I think it is important to have somebody. Maybe not like starting caliber like Robert Williams, but like somebody. I think Kevon Looney on a, on a lot of teams probably be like a bench player. So like a Kevon yeah. or like a Zubot, so like somebody like that who can, even though they're not your starting center, they can come in and serve. You know, as the rim protecting kind of lob threat in in spurts. If Shingun, you know, if, if that certain metric kind of dictates it. I um, mean, I also want to kind of comment what you said about uh, about Sabonis. I agree with you completely. I, I wouldn't say my worst fear is that he's Sabonis, but I, I think I put this tweet out maybe towards like playoff time last year. I was like, how many of these playoff teams get better if you replace our starting center with Demonte Sabonis? And I, I think a lot of them don't. I think a lot of them actually get worse if you if you take uh, Robert Williams off of off of Boston. If you take um, trying to think, if you take Clint Capella off of Atlanta. If you take um, DeAndre Aiden out of things. Like, I think there's a lot of guys who you take you take their starting center off that team and replace it with DeMontis Sabonis. I think the team doesn't get better. And like, I, I I'm I've been someone who was like before before he was even a Sacramento. When he was in in Indiana, I was not a huge fan of DeMontis Sabonis. Not because I think he's a bad player, just because of what you said. I think players who he's not necessarily a great shooter and he's not necessarily a good defender. So it's kind of like, what are you gonna give me? So. I agree. Um, I I, I kind of I'm not gonna say I hope he's not the monster bonus because like I said, if, if pick 16 is the monster bonus, like that's obviously a win. You know, you can't. There's no way you can lose with that. Um, but but yeah, I, I hope that he gives us something more than what Sabonis is giving the Sacramento Kings because I agree, I'm not I'm not that high on 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 a team that has Sabonis as the starting center. Um, but we can move on. Uh, somebody I touched on who really benefits from playing with Alperen Shingun, somebody who last season a lot. Uh, was able to catch a lot of passes from Shingo and I need a lot of a lot of highlights. It's KJ Martin, who I think had a really good game, um, arguably his best game of his career. Uh, I don't know if it's fair to say that against the Clippers yesterday, but definitely his best game of the season um, and his best game in a long time. But yesterday, KJ Martin dropped. He had 23 points. He had six rebounds and assists and two blocks, and he was nine to 17 from the field. And a lot of those misses came from three uh, from the from three point line. So. Uh, like I said, I think he had a pretty good game with James. What did you see from KJ Martin yesterday? Love what I saw from KJ Martin. Man, let me tell you something. I don't think any Rocket has raised their stock for me personally more this season than KJ Martin. Honestly, when those trade rumors started coming out, I sort of felt like, man, who really cares, to be honest? Like, this kid doesn't – he can't dribble. Uh, you know, he can't pass. Like, he, he's not actually very good on defense. Like, you know, maybe I, it's not, I I can be realistic to the point that sometimes I come off like a hater, but I, I just felt like, man, this kid, KJ Martin, like he's he's not really all that good. But this season, uh, I I really think, I don't know, like the stats, the statistical profile is not all that different, but just to my eye, he's really made strides to the point that I, I wouldn't want to lose him. He suddenly is a really strong connective passer, like uh, out of short rolls or on fast breaks, he, he finds guys in, in ways that, I don't recall him finding guys before, and I think his defense has, has much improved. His awareness is better. His uh, he's he's in the right spots suddenly, you know. And then he was always a transition terror, and he was always a crazy law threat. So, yeah, he's come a long way. I I hope that we can work the situation out with him and hold on to him because he's a good player, man. You know, he hits open threes too. Like he he suddenly is a utility guy that does a lot of things well. Last night, he put on a show. You know. Yeah. I just want to touch on that. Yeah, he really did put on a show yesterday. Will, you said, is that potentially his best game? I know in his rookie year, he had like a 27-point game against Milwaukee. Outside of that, I truly think that was maybe one of his most complete games that we've seen him in a Rockets uniform. With, you know, everything that James touched on, he's a really versatile player. 
Um, he's shooting more than he ever has in his career, but he his splits are a little down, you know, from, from years prior. But it, it's early in the season. He's got lights out in the preseason. And I think those shooting splits are going to start to rise again because he's not a bad shooter. And he hits some, some tough shots. And the energy, I've always loved his energy as James Tussauds in transition on cuts. That's why he looks so good with Shane Gilly. He cuts uh, without the basketball. High flying. Um, had a great block yesterday. They got a reverse. They called a foul at first. Then, then they looked back at that and they say, yeah, yeah, we messed that up because that block was spectacular. And little things like that for a Rockets team that, you know, has been really good this season at getting offensive boards and doing the little things. You know, they may be one and seven, but they have a lot of guys that do little things now. We'll touch on those players later. And KJ is just one of those players. And it's good to have people like that on your basketball team. And KJ is one of those guys. And, you know, as James touched on um, with trade requests, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that they haven't traded him yet. I hope that's the guy they can keep, you know, for the long haul. He's 21, I believe. I, I really like KJ with this team. And when those shooting splits start to rise, like I know they will, He's going to look like a really valuable player. What do you think, Taylor? Um, I agree. Uh, I, he was somebody who, when I saw the trade request this summer, um, I wasn't looking forward to trading KJ, but I was like, if so be it. Like, if we have to lose KJ, all right, man. Like, it's going to it's gonna suck a little bit, but we'll, we'll be fine. Uh, it's not going to be that big of a deal. And through preseason, and I think he's had a kind of like, like rest of that little rocky start to the season, but through preseason and then, you know, yesterday's game, I have completely changed my opinion on KJ Martin. Um, he's somebody who I hope they do not trade at all. I mean, I've heard that that um, I, I can't confirm or nothing, but I've heard that that situation has been kind of smoothed over for the most part. Like that he's he's good now. He's he's okay with his role in Houston. Um, but but yeah, like like as y'all said, he he was. I think he was the biggest reason that we were even in that game to begin with yesterday. We're gonna touch. We're gonna touch on it a little bit later. But like our two top three picks were struggling, like struggling, struggling yesterday. Um, and it was, you know, without KJ Martin, I think Alperen Shing, I think we would have got blown out yesterday. So it's, it's kind of funny that it kind of comes down to the guy who we were potentially going to lose this summer. It was like the saving grace of our team last night. Um, but like, like, like y'all been saying, he plays with good effort. He's he's good on. He plays both sides of the ball. He's he's, he's sneakily pretty smart on the offensive end. Um, and then we always we always knew what he brought defensively. You know, with his uh, vertical spacing as well. So like I, I I'm I'm happy that they found a way to keep KJ Martin. I hope that he continues to get around. I want to say I looked it up today and he's getting around like 14 minutes a game, which which is kind of crazy. Um, I, I think he needs to play a little bit more than that. And we're gonna we're actually that kind of segues perfectly to the next point, which is guys who need to play more who I think been playing really well. Tari, I know that was like that was your guy, James. Uh, Usman Garuba, I think he's played really well in his short uh, roles. And I mean these 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 games. And then Josh Christopher, someone who was like out of the rotation and has been barely playing, but in his very few minutes, I think he's played really well. So those are those are three names there. Uh, what what are your thoughts on those guys, James? Yeah, well, yeah, my thoughts on Terry are, are pretty well established. I think the kid is a demon, man. Like I I I, I really think we're gonna look back at the twenty twenty two draft and go, how did how did he slip to seventeen? I mean, I think there are explanations. And admittedly, like his floor awareness can at times be a little bit low, at you know at times. But but the skills and the tools are there, man. He's a good passer. Uh, he he's he's a pretty functional ball handler. But most importantly, he's just you know it's the will and the tenacity, like the 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 rebounding and the hustle and the he just makes things happen. Like it's just crazy. I don't remember very many players I've watched throughout history who just get the ball that way. You know, like like if it's a rebound, it's his. If it's a passing lane, it's his. If it's an on ball steal, like he just wants the ball, man. Yeah, I uh, 
I love Eason. I really think he's going to be a game changer for this rebuild in the long term. Uh, Garuba, I, I've really he's been really nice lately too, man. Uh, he definitely works his ass off. He's extremely raw on offense. Uh, outside of passing, he doesn't really offer very much at all on offense. But he's a really hard worker, and I think he's a, he has potential to be that type of modern big man defender that can survive in space and protect the rim. So I think it's really encouraging that Garuba has started to flash something because I think a lot of us felt like, well, that pick was probably a nothing burger, you know, which wouldn't be the end of the world happens late in the first round, but it's nice to see him making a lot of progress in my opinion. As for Gup, something I've noticed about him, just my opinion, Christopher's he's good player. He he's a hardworking player. He can, you know, put the ball on the floor and make drives and, and, and he's a, you know, skilled passer. Like he's definitely got tools. Christopher, once he starts playing well, he tries to do too much. This is my opinion right now about about Gup, and and it's like he can't decide whether he wants to be sort of like a like a hustle based role playing guard, a you know strong point of attack defender guy, or is he more of like a star player? And because I mean I'm not sure he might have that in him, but right now I like the, what I see from him better when he's kind of like functioning as a little bit more of a Patrick Beverly, you know? And I, I find once he knocks down a shot or two, suddenly he's trying to do reverse layups and no-look passes and off-the-dribble threes, and, and it starts to fall apart for him a little bit more. I think that's probably why he's been inconsistent in the rotation. But, you know, like, he's an interesting young player on a rebuilding team, though, for sure. And he, he deserves more minutes than he's gotten because, like, he's better than Knicks, which I know we're going to talk about. So, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I think you're on the money with, with Tari Eason and Usman Garuba. I'll group them together for my first point. These are two guys that just have a knack for finding the ball when it hits the rim. Usman gets a lot of rebounds. He barely plays, but he gets a lot of rebounds. I'm going to pull a shameless stat here. Per 36, he's like top 10 in rebounds. It's, it's shameless, I know. But if you watch the games, he's getting a lot of rebounds, and he barely plays. I want to say he had eight rebounds last night. He probably played less than 15 minutes. Yeah. In particular, that third quarter stretch when they went on that 11-0 run, Usman was a big factor in that in that 11-0 run against the Clippers. He does a lot of the little things. I know James touched on his passing. I will say Usman is really good, in my opinion, on offense when it comes to just sending a whole bunch of screens. His activity on offense is really crazy. I, I, he knows he can't offer a lot on offense, so he's running around, send screens, send screens, send screens. I will applaud him for that. It's, a, it's, it's like an uh, NBA player sending screens. Does he deserve applause for that? I, I actually admire it from Usman. He does not offer a lot. Um, he does need to work on his three body. Hit one yesterday, I believe, to tie the game. More props to him for that. Um, he deserves more minutes. As for Tari Eason, yes, uh, rebounds, is, it's insane. The activity level, um, steals, defense, um, that three ball, if, if it starts to fall consistently, he's going to be an issue. And that's a guy you got to plug in at the three. Um, I don't know if they'll ever start him at small forward this year. It looks like they're going with EG. And if it's not EG, it's going to be Tate. If it's not Tate, it's going to be KJ. So it looks like Tar is fourth in that pecking order. I know Rockets fans may not like that. But if he ever does get into that starting lineup, um, maybe if it's this year or next year, he's going to – I don't want to cut you off, but they've been kind of using Tari as more of a four. Like, yeah, so we, have, and have, we yeah. haven't seen him and Jabari play together. They they, they always they, separate they, for each other. In little sense, him and Jabari will play together. They, they just haven't been playing well together, so they don't leave him on the floor that long. Um, but, I mean, I'd love for him to start the three uh, in the long term because that's – as James said, functional ball handler, and that was one of his weaknesses in college uh, was his ball handling. I haven't seen his ball handling look that bad, in my opinion. So, Tari, I love what I see from him. You know, when it comes to Gup, he, yeah, he fell out the rotation, and when Eric Gordon didn't play, he definitely was inserted in there. 
he played with the best energy I've probably ever seen him play with when he got, first got subbed in. I don't know if you guys noticed, like, his defensive stance or his intensity levels. That's what I saw from Josh. And he looked good. He forced a turnover on one of those first possessions he had out there. And then there was a, a chase. There was a, a fast break uh, for the other team. He came down and he had to chase down block, but it was a call to foul. Just little things like that that stood out to me. He wanted to be out there. He wanted to make sure he had a place in the rotation. But the way for him to stay in the rotation, as James talked about, he could try to do too much at times, uh, dribble off his foot. Um, yeah, just a little stuff like, Josh, you got to slow down. You said it in media day. I've been working on slowing my game down. And that's what's going to really going to be um, – what's the word I'm looking for? The detriment of him. If he's not going to um, slow the game down for himself, I think he's really going to struggle. He's a very talented kid, really good finisher. He's even talented enough to sometimes hit those step-back threes at times. Uh, he did it last year. So – just slow the game down for yourself. Uh, keep playing with that high intensity that we saw these past two games, and you'll, you'll have a rotational spot, Josh. But what do you think, Will? Uh, I'll start with uh, with Tari Eason. I, James, is, like, like James said, I was somebody who was, like, high on Tari Eason from the jump, man. I thought he was somebody who made sense for us at pick something who probably could realistically be there. Um, I thought he kind of fit perfectly what we were trying to build here. So it was kind of interesting, like, on draft night that we kind of manifested him into, like, a Rockets uniform. So that was really cool to see. But – the, the the word I've been using or the phrase I've been using this whole season for Tari Eason is like the ball is magnetically attracted to his hands. It does not make sense the way he gets rebounds or like Jim said, he's active in passing lanes. It doesn't make sense how he's able to always, always, always be in the right place at the right time. And when he's there, the ball just appears in his hands. It does not make sense to me. You can't teach it. Uh, you know, it, it blows my mind. So he's definitely somebody who – um who I think needs more minutes. Uzma Garuba, like like Brad said, he's been a rebounding machine. He's been an effort machine. There's there was a, a rotation last night. I mean, a lineup last night that had uh, Uzma Garuba at the five. Uh, I believe it was KJ at the four and Tari at the three, or you know, KJ three, Tari at the four. One of those two guys at the, at the three and the four. And I think they looked amazing defensively. And like not even just like from the defensive standpoint, but like from an effort standpoint, those guys were hustling for loose balls. They were grabbing rebounds. They were running transition. It looked really well. Um, Garuba is somebody who um, I think a lot of people like, have been like sleep on his IQ and his playmaking. He, he tried a couple passes this season that don't necessarily always get there, but you see the you see what he's trying to do. And I think as he kind of get continues to get more reps and more chemistry with his teammates and gets more comfortable out there, he can start making those passes. I encourage everybody to go back and watch what he was doing, the type of pass he was throwing in Spain uh, this summer for Eurobasket. Like that guy is honestly one of the best playmakers on our team. Like. Once you get past uh, KPJ, Shingoon, Eric Gordon, Dacian Nix, I mean, it, it might be him. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think. Of Mitch, oh, Jayshon Tate's up there as well. But, like, he he's definitely one of the better playmakers on our team um, right now. And I, I think it's, uh, that's one of the most underrated parts about his game. Um, so I, I'm, I'm loving what I'm seeing from him in his limited role. Um, and then and then um, to end it off with with um, with Josh, I think Josh, like you, like you said, uh, uh, Jens, I think he had a head on the nail with that was like through summer league, I think we saw him play a role that's not who he is. He was doing, I said it was like a, a bad James Harden impression. He was trying to do everything himself and it really wasn't working. Um, and I, I guess the, between that, I mean, I guess whatever they saw in training camp and practice, I, I, I guess they just haven't been in love with it, but it does confuse because I, I do think that regardless, I think he's still been playing better than Dacia Nix. But even with that, he he got in uh, some 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 minutes. I believe it was against the the Suns, and he looked really well. When Eric Gordon was out the, out of the rotation, like he looked really well in that short time. 
Um, and so I, I have it pulled up here. These guys are averaging. I also want to make a correction. I said uh, KJ Martin eating 14 minutes a night. It was it was 17, and that's over the last two games, not over the season. So I want to correct myself there. Um, but I have it pulled up. The um, KJ is getting 26 minutes a night, which is pretty good for KJ. But after that, it falls off. Tarius is getting 17. I think he needs more than that. Usman Group is getting 12. I think he needs more than that. Josh Christopher is getting eight. And I think he needs more than that. And and this is obviously with guys like Jay Sean Tate and um, and uh, uh, Eric Gordon being out the lineup. Bruno Fernandez hasn't been in the lineup. So, like, I think when these guys start coming back, those men are going to start waning even more than what they already are right now. And it's kind of unfortunate because I think these are these are guys who, uh, you know, all all three of these guys are first round picks. They they deserve the opportunity to to show everybody what they can what they can do. So I think it is pretty disappointing on that front. I mean, Garrison Matthews is getting around 14 minutes tonight, which is uh, more than Usman Garuba and um, and and Josh Richard, which I think is unacceptable uh, on that front. But but like I said, I think I think we kind of touched on everything we need to touch on with those guys. They've they've been really well. Need more minutes. They've been uh, active on both ends of the floor. Now I'm loving what I see from them in their in their short minutes. Um, but that kind of ends the the positive sides of these last two games. We got some negatives we got to talk about real quick. Um, Jalen and Jabari are two top three picks. Last night they wore six of twenty-five combined together, and then uh, let me pull up what they were on Monday together. On I'm sorry, I'm not on Monday. On Sunday uh, together they were. I know they outside a bad game. Then Jalen was five of eighteen, and Jabari was two of eight. So what is that? That's seven of, of twenty-six. So. Seven of I mean six of twenty five, seven of twenty six in back to back games for our two top three picks. They have been I think struggling is an understatement for these two guys lately. Um, James, what do you, what have you been seeing from our two top three picks? Yeah, uh, Bari is pretty raw. You know, I'll, I'll I'll say that right. Like the mechanics on the jump shots still look great to me, and that's that's encouraging. Like like I have to think that shot's going to start falling. You know. All the pre-draft stuff about how he can't really create that well. He doesn't really have a lot of, like, burst as a straight-line athlete, you know? He, he doesn't really have the handle to, to get into the lane and stuff. It's all true, right? Like, like he has a hard time, you know, getting into a driving lane and, and getting a layup at the moment. He just, he just does, right? But, like, I, at the same time, I'm not super worried about it. My mentality with Bari from the jump has been, like, this kid, if nothing else, should be an elite 3-and-D wing. Right. And I, I think we still see that. I know a lot of people don't necessarily want that out of their third overall pick. But the reality is, is that if he's one of the best three and D wings in the league, he will provide more value than an average third overall pick does. So, you know, I'm not convinced that Jabari Smith Jr. is going to be like an MVP candidate or that type of superstar. But I don't I really don't think he needs to be. I, th- I think that he still flashed a lot of potential. Uh, the shot's just not falling yet. And to be completely honest, part of it relates to the team's guard play. We, we don't really have a, you know, born distributor. And he's he's not really, he doesn't really get the types of looks that we would want him to get, in my opinion. You know, like just even semi-open jump shots. Uh, a lot of times I've, I think he's stuck trying to create his own shot just because he hasn't been getting looks. And that's not really his strength at the moment. So that can, that can be a little bit of a problem. As for Jalen... I'm really not worried. Like I, I think that I think it's just a, a natural component of a volume scores game to have slumps. Like for about three games this year, we all felt like, okay, clearly this kid is Michael Jordan, right? And now, you know, he's three games into a slump, and a lot of people are saying, well, clearly this kid is 
Jordan Clarkson, you know? And like the, the reality is, is that he's probably neither, but he's going to be a star player. I, I have no doubt about that. But even at his peak, when he's probably leading the NBA in scoring and stuff, he's going to have slumps, right? Like he's, he's going to have shooting slumps. That just happens to players of this style of play. I'm not saying there's no room for him to improve. His in-between game could definitely improve. Like, like some moves in the mid range w- w- would help, you know, and, and maybe stopping short a little more often and, and throwing the defense off by being a three level scorer. But I don't know, man, I feel like a lot of people are talking a lot about Jalen green right now and any game now he's just going to drop 30 and then he's going to drop 25, 32, 26 a few games in a row and we're gonna be all back to going okay this guy's gonna lead the league in scoring someday you know i'm not worried about it let me touch on Jalen green really quickly um i don't want to share this stat with people but i'll, I'll say it. i'm definitely not going to tweet this stat out so if you're listening Jalen green shooting 8.7 percent from mid-range this season which is god awful i would not tweet that out i'm letting you know that not tweet that out. so he needs to hit the middies that is what's killing him, in my opinion. He really got well. Um, he got really good last year. At the, end of, at the end of last season, he started hitting those mid-ranges after All-Star break. That was something that really elevated him. Having an in-between game for a, for a slasher that can hit threes is really important. They started respecting his in-between game, and that opens up the floor for him a lot. So once he start hit, starts hitting that mid-range, I think the game will open back up for him completely. Um, James is right. You know, he's going to have shooting – um woes at times we saw with james harden you know he goes cold at times for long stretches this is what happens with really good scores Jalen is still young he has to work on his consistency he'll be a more consistent player when he gets more experience in the NBA. that's just how it happens so as you said man he, he's gonna lead the league in scoring one day i'm not worried about him at all that media is just awful 8.7 percent so i wanted to go and look and see like how bad that was for, for players that have attempted as much as he has but i, I don't want to do that so i'm not gonna look at that and i won't find that out but as for jabari this is a guy who's taking um, 5.5 catch-and-shoot threes a game. That's 11th most in the NBA. So the confidence is there for a young player to go out there and shoot that many threes a night. He's just not hitting them. And this is a guy who's, for the most part, getting open looks. And I'll say it time and time again, he shot 57.1% on uncontested sh- uh, catch-and-shoot threes at Auburn. So he's a good shooter. Like That's not going anywhere from college to the NBA. If you're wide open, you should be able to knock down a three. I, I don't see a – a difference from college to the NBA in that aspect. So Jabari, he's, he's going to start hitting those soon. Um, I, he hasn't been getting that many touches. I will say the Rockets have tried to utilize him more um, than those first few games in the on the elbows. Have you guys noticed? He's gotten a few looks, not a lot, a few looks on the elbows. It's, in particular, the last game he had a he had a post move on a, on a mismatch. But even uh, before that, like they're trying to get him set up, get some post looks, and he hasn't really been capitalizing. I still don't think he's hit a, a post fade this entire season. Correct me if I'm wrong. I haven't seen one. But just little things like that. Like he needs to get to his bread and butter at Auburn. He was a really good post fadeaway player. And he's a knockdown three point shooter, and that's the guy he's going to be offensively. Never going to be an MVP candidate. I can confidently say that. But he can be a damn good player if he's three and D elite at doing that alone. I, I could care less what kind of player he is. If he's elite, but if shooting threes and playing defense, I'm extremely happy with that as my third overall pick, just because I know how much value that brings to this Rockets team and this, the structure of this roster. It's going to help Shane Goon a lot, too, if that's going to be your starting center of the future. So I'm not I'm not worried about either of these two kids. And they're just in cold spells. But Jabari, I will say he's he's forcing it sometimes with some of these takes at the rim. Even some of the threes, I feel like he's not getting clean catches and he'll, he'll throw up something anyway just because it feels like he needs to shoot it. But I'm, I'm not worried about him. Once those open threes start to fall, 
it'll be fine. As for Jalen, mid range, you can't shoot eight point seven percent. I think the 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 biggest point here is like, where was it seven eight games into the season now? Um, there is really no reason to be hitting the panic button over top three picks. Uh, one. Uh, Jabari, this is literally uh, Jabari's eighth game of his career. So, like, there's no reason to be talking about panicking and, and who we should have drafted over Jabari eight games into an NBA season. Like, that's kind of ridiculous to me. Um, and then Jalen, like like James said, he's he's a he's a he's a volume scorer in his second year in the NBA. He's gonna have problems where I mean nights where he's gonna they call it what shooting tour dates, right? So he's gonna go out there. He's gonna go like five of eighteen, like he has, and there's gonna be nights where he goes like twelve of of, of seventeen or something, just something crazy like that. So. Uh, I'm not concerned for either of them, but I do have some like some pointers that I want to talk about on them individually. Like Jabari himself, I think he's kind of been more or less the type of player that I kind of expected him to be coming into the NBA. I was I was kind of caught off guard when he looked so well against the Spurs. I'm like, well, maybe I was maybe I was wrong about this guy that he's going to come in and you know average something insane off the rip. I I kind of predicted he was going to struggle a little bit in his first uh, time of the season just because he's somebody who was so dependent on others to um to get him going offensively um, and it's going to take a while for the team to learn how to play with them. It's going to take a while for him to adjust to the NBA level. Um, so I kind of predict that he was going to struggle a little bit in that department. Uh, one of the areas that I, I think that it kind of blows my mind that we haven't uh, ran more with Jabari, I want to say you can count on your hand the amount of pick and pops we run with him this season. And, like, to me that seems like such an easy way to get a guy like that going. It was something that kind of blew my mind. We didn't run with Christian Wood a lot last year. I know we didn't like him, but, like, that's another way, like easy offense, running the pick and roll with this guy, pick and pop with him, letting him pop out and, you know, have one of the ball handers uh, swing the ball to him at the top of the key for an open three. Like, I, th- I think it's pretty easy um, <laughs> active offense, right, that we could, we could use to get Jabari going on a night-to-night basis that we just do not do at all. Um, I do think that, like, one of the things that I do kind of find frustrating with, with Jabari's play so far is so far he hasn't been able to punish smaller defenders on him just yet. And, and like, to me, I'm not saying that it's, it scares me, but it's kind of a little disappointing to see uh, that there was possessions where, like, he had Chris Paul on him. He had, uh, I think it was Reggie Jackson yesterday. And in the post, and, like, these guys are, you know, they're they're, they're guarding him. He's, he's not punishing them. And, like, to me, that's that's kind of disappointing to see from somebody who's just 11. He has, like, like, eight to nine inches in height over a lot of these guys, these point guards in the post. He's not being able to punish it. So, um, that was something that I want to see him work on is being able to punish the smaller defender, not just in the post, but just like on the perimeter, like on a night to night basis, he's probably gonna be the taller player in his position. It's six eleven anyway. So like finding a ways to use for that he's six eleven to his advantage. I don't think we've seen that from him just yet. So I want to see him do a little bit more, uh, be more engaged on that front. And then as for, uh, as for Jalen, I think Jalen to find a way to impact the game without scoring, because like James said, he's going to have nights where he does go five of 18 and he, he he's shooting tour dates. Right. But, you need to find a way to even when your shot isn't falling, you can still be a positive player on the floor. Right, that's what's going to take Jalen Green from All Star to superstar is being able to be, you know, be able. I can play even if my jumper isn't falling. I can be positive, uh, positively impactful. And we saw that a little bit towards the end of the game uh, uh, last last night where he got I, I want to say one of his most impressive defensive stops against Paul George. Like that was pretty good defense. He moved his feet, ladder stayed in front of Paul George, who was cooking us all night. Got I think it was an offensive foul that Paul kind of like elbowed him and, and it was a stop, man. So like that's what you want to see uh, on the defensive end from him. And then like you know kind of like in the playmaking department, he's somebody who's shown little flashes here and there, but hasn't like necessarily put it together just yet. I think if he can kind of put that together, I mean like I said, it's going to be hard to deny him superstar status at that point. So um, he's somebody I can see him find ways to impact the game. Um, 
without um without without you know being able to score. And I actually want to double back to Jabari. It was one point I wanted to bring up. I know me and talked about this yesterday. Um with like the top three picks and top five picks, I think a lot of people see top five pick and they think Luka Doncic, Trey Young, they think uh Jason Tatum, they they think Donovan, they think of all these guys who have come into the NBA and just killed it off the rips as top five picks. And I, I encourage people like go back and look at the guys who were drafted top five. It's like it's not a lot that all of those guys are not superstars. Some of those guys aren't even role players. Some of those guys aren't in the league no more. Like I had the list pulled up. Patrick Williams. These are these are guys who went top five. Patrick Williams, Isaac O'Caro, DeAndre Hunter, Marvin Bagley, Markel Fultz, Josh Jackson, Dragon Bender, Chris Dunn, Jalil Okafor, Mario Hazonia, Jabari Parker, Dante Exum, Anthony Bennett, Cody Zeller, Alex Lynn, Michael Kidd Gilchrist, Deion Waiters, Thomas Robinson, Derek Williams, Ennis Cantor, Evan Turner, Wilson Johnson, Hashim to be. And the point I'm making here is that if all Jabari is is a 6'11", 3D wing, we that's better than everybody I just named. <laughs> like every everybody I just named on that list, Jabari would be better than if all he becomes is a 6'11 guy who's a utility bet on defense, can guard multiple positions at an elite level, and he can shoot threes at an elite level. If that's all he ever becomes, like I said, I don't I don't know if he's necessarily a, a superstar. I don't, I don't think he's superstar. I don't think he's um a, a top two option or a contender, but like if that's all he becomes, like we still got more value than a lot of teams have got historically speaking from a top three pick, a top five pick in the NBA. So um, if you're concerned about him on that front, like I, I just encourage you to go back and look at guys who have been drafted those pots before. But uh, Bryce, you want to add anything to that before I move on to the next? Yeah, I got baited into looking at the numbers. I'm sorry, guys. But Jalen, <laughs> he's the worst catch-and-shoot player. Not catch-and-shoot. He's the worst mid-range player in the NBA right now uh, by a wide margin. So uh, Jabari, not far behind. He's sixth worst at 15% for mid-range. So these two guys, I feel like, once that midi starts to fall, they're obviously not that bad of you know players from the mid range. But once that start, shot starts to fall, I think they'll be able. I think it eight percent had to be man. I mean, you know, it's like who was yeah, yeah, yeah. worth it? Yeah, yeah, it's awful. But that yeah. takes us into um, <laughs> speaking about awful. It takes us into our next topic. Uh, Nation Knicks. <laughs> I'll let you. Uh, I'll let you. Start. No, <laughs> it is the next. It is the next topic, man. Uh, speaking of awful, I feel like we we we've talked about him a lot, man. I, I don't want to come off as a hater about Nation Knicks, but Man, I'm I'm just I'm still not seeing what this organization saw in him a year ago when they said he was a first round pick caliber guy. Like I I still to this very moment do not see it. Um, so I, I'll let James go and then I'll get I'll get my thoughts on it after you, Brad. Yeah, yeah, I'll be quick with my analysis. We'll go ahead. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I I I don't really think he's necessarily an NBA player. The the <laughs> thing about it is is like he he's not probably not an NBA caliber athlete, and that's basically what sinks him you know like i think he has good floor vision i think he's a smart basketball player and that's kind of the unfortunate part about it like i i think he's a high feel smart basketball player he's got good vision but like he just can't he, he doesn't give you any advantages in the half court so he can't really create right like he's not a major shooting threat he doesn't really have any burst or, or like ability to get around guys on a regular basis and so i find that he just often gets trapped ends up throwing a garbage pass to nowhere not because he couldn't see the passing lane but because he couldn't get to the spot to create it in the first place you know and so yeah i, I don't know what the organization was talking about saying that he's a first round pick or whatever either like maybe that was smoke let's let's hope that was just smoke you know but i i, I won't belabor the point too much either i just don't think he's at least not a good nba player you know if he's even really league caliber i'll start with the 
few positives. Um, he had a good game against Portland. Hit a few threes, no turnovers. Outside of that, he had two games with less than 15 minutes played combined for like seven turnovers. And it's, it's just ugly basketball. He, he, what it really irritates me is there was a report that said it was a month into the offseason. Asian Knicks has really improved his game via uh, impact basketball. Whoever were, uh, runs impact basketball, call you up because it was a month into the offseason. I don't know what they saw in Asian Knicks, but it did not translate to this upcoming season. So I'll, I'll keep it short. Like I said, I was. They just give me give me gup over Knicks. Um, the place speaks for itself. I don't need to discuss it. Go ahead. I think the problem with Dacian Knicks, and I mean respectfully, but what does he do well at the NBA level? And I, I struggle to answer that question because he's he's not someone who like like Brett said he shot three for three from three that night. But but those are on like we're leaving you wide open. So like I would say I, I hope you could make wide open threes. You know what I'm saying? Like that that would be even worse for you as an NBA guy if you could do that. So uh, that game didn't even move me there because those are like three wide open shots that he was getting. Um, He's not necessarily that good of an off-ball threat, so uh, you pretty much have to have the ball in his hands for him to be like maximized. And when the ball's in his hands, I don't know what he does. So there was a possession um, last night where he had the ball, dribbled baseline, got turned around, came back, shot a three, and just breaked it. And, and it's like I think that kind of summarizes what the Dacian experience is. It's like, what does he do? He's not someone who can get dribble drop penetration going. Um, you don't really get to see him flex, you know, his IQ in the playmaking department because. His go-to is to get across half court and give the ball to Jalen or give it give the ball to Eric Gordon. So I I just I don't see it with him, man. Um there was a play against the Suns where the ball went to the backcourt. And on first watch, I thought he just wasn't he wasn't trying to get the ball. I went back and rewatched it. He was running as fast as he could and could not get the ball. So I, I think it's what James said as well. Like the guy's just not an NBA level athlete as well either. Like, I mean, this guy was like he's running at full speed, and there's a guy who's behind him hawks it down and gets it before he can so like it, it's it's just so many problems with Dacian Knicks I don't want to harp on it too much more but I, I don't think I need to see him play no more uh, especially not when Josh Christopher's not playing at all so um there's that but speaking of guys who we've kind of maybe in and out on right now so we kind of come to this last stretch it's like Eric Gordon um the the, the play last or the last couple plays last night were drawn up for Eric Gordon to take us home Turned the ball over one of those plays. The next play, he got a good look at the rim, just kind of missed it. Um, and the famous is kind of split right now on was that the right play? Should, should it have went to Eric Gordon? You know, does he need to play anymore? Like so, like James, what are, what are your thoughts on just Eric Gordon's outlook on this team? And then like you know, on those those last two possessions uh, that went to Eric Gordon. Yeah, actually, my outlook on those two things is pretty different because I I, I thought that the possessions were fine, honestly. Maybe this is not the popular take. I, I understand it's a developmental year, all that stuff. But here's what I think. like To some extent, if you want these guys to get acclimatized to the NBA and, and NBA situations and, and how NBA teams function, you know, generally you give the last shot to the guy with, who's most likely to hit it. And, and Gordon, like he's been in big games. He's been in high-pressure situations. It's nothing for him to, to take or miss a game-winning shot, you know? So I think it makes sense to have him take the shot. Like, like that's how it works. You know, I, I think this is part of how the Rockets intend on developing these kids to where it's like, honestly, if you want to take the game-winning shot, you have to prove that you should take the game-winning shot. Now, KPJ has done that, in all fairness. KPJ has hit a lot of clutch shots, and maybe he's earned the spot. But I don't have an issue giving it to Gordon. He, he's he's the vet. He's been in the Western Conference Finals, man. Like, that's, that's just what it is. But... 
I have not really been a fan of his play throughout the year, to be honest, right? I just think he looks very checked out. I see sloppy turnovers from him that I am not used to seeing. I don't know if he's turning it over more often than usual. I haven't looked at the stats in a while, but like, like to my eye, the turnovers are worse. Like I'm seeing like he throws a pass. He doesn't really seem to care where it goes, whatever, you know, I don't think the defensive efforts where it's been in recent years. And the other kind of uncomfortable thing about it is I don't know if Gordon was ever the right bet for this team because Eric Gordon, he's kind of always had tunnel vision. Like he's a scorer, right? First, second, and third. That's fine. It was perfect when we were contending with Harden and Paul because those they're both point guards, you know? So like, it was like, that's perfect to get a guy in that just looks to get a bucket. But for this team, I'd probably rather have like a Ricky Rubio or DJ Augustine back or, or like a, like a, like a different veteran, to be honest. And, I don't really know if we're going to find a trade for him because the contract's pretty, pretty pricey and everything. I don't think that Stone wants to like take Duncan Robinson back, you know, because Duncan Robinson and a pick would, would be good it's value. In back contract. Yeah, it's a bad contract, right? So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen with Gordon, uh, but I, I don't think, I don't like what he's doing this year. I'll tell you that much. I'll say your eye test isn't lying to you, James. Uh, 2.5 turnovers a night for EG. That's his most sense. His LA Clipper days in 2012. So he's been a little sloppy there. And for the most part, I feel like his defense has been sloppy. Outside of that last Clippers game, I thought he played his best defense of the season. But he's had a lot of plays this year where lack of effort on closeouts, standing around off ball, things like that that really irked me. You're, you're the you know the lone vet on the team that really plays minutes. I, I'd expect more out of you. I, I do like what I saw from him in that last game. He shoots 58% at the rim. He's supposed to hit that last second layup. I don't mind the play call a lot of fans were upset with the play call i understand it but eg has always been good at creating space for himself you know using the other defender's body to push off to get an easy lay that's something he's really good at so i wasn't mad at the play call he did it in the last one he just smoked the layup uh, I, I just hope he continues to shoot the three ball well play defense show effort drive that trade value up um and yeah you know eric gordon he's always been a good player uh, this is a guy who deserves to be on a contender and if he's not in the contender, he's going to be throwing shots at Paulo Alves on Twitter. So I don't want to see that. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're going to talk about we're going to talk about that real yeah, quick. You but, have um, a overlay one? Can we pull it up? I'm not going to throw that tweet on the screen. If you want to see the tweet, uh, definitely just go to Eric Gordon's uh, Twitter account and go to his most recent tweet. You'll see it there. Um, but yeah, so so two things. Talk about that. Um, but one. I think I don't. I I'm going to claim this. I'm going to manifest it right now. I don't think anyone has been a bigger proponent of trading Eric Gordon than I have. I I think I have been trying to get this guy traded for years now, and it's it's never been about who Eric Gordon is as a person. I think he's a great person, a great player. Um, he's done amazing for the city of Houston. One of my my favorite memories ever, like probably my top ten. Cause I'm I'm on the younger side, but my my, my top ten memories memories ever as a Rockets fan was Game Five, 2018, where he hits that three to to um to seal that game. Like that was. That was game. It was over with that point in time. We we beat the Warriors and that put us up three two. And like at that moment, bro, I thought it was when the champion. I'm like, bro, three two on the Warriors. Like we got two games to just win one more game. Go to the finals. We're gonna spank the Cavs. Like this is gonna be a championship for the city of Houston. And you know, Chris Paul pulled his hamstring. I think like seconds after doing that. But like that was one of my favorite moments ever uh, as a Rockets fan. So I love Eric Gordon. It's nothing to do with him as a person. It's just more of I think what makes sense for not just him but the team as well. I think that like I think James is spot on getting trading him in for uh, i'm not saying trade him for this kind of guy but like if we were to swap eric gordon for a guy like Ricky rubio who's more of a pure point guard kind of get guys into sets pass first i think that would be that's a lot more on the lines of what we need or i ain't no more we're trying to use eric gordon as like they've been using like it's like a point guard 
or as like a primary off the bench. And I'm like, that's not who Eric Gordon is. Um, so I agree with you entirely on that front. Um, I agree with, with Brad on that front of like his effort has not been there um, where it was. And I, I think it's because he doesn't want to be here. And like, truth be told, I'm not even mad at him. Like this, this, I think this, this team has held him hostage long enough. He should have been gone. Um, I mean, like you, you look at his, his, his peers from that, that 2017, uh, maybe like the 2020 run, right? James Harden to Philadelphia competing for championship. Uh, Chris Paul went to the finals. Trevor Reza went to Miami um, and LA. He's competing for championships. Uh, Peter Deckers has won a championship with Milwaukee. He went to Miami, so now Philadelphia now. Like these guys, Daniel House is competing for a championship. Like all of these guys who he's he's um he's played with over the last couple of years, they're all competing for championships. He's the only guy who's still here trying to get off this team, I guess you could say. So I don't even blame him for his, his lack of effort at times. Like I get it. He wants to get off this team, and, and nobody wants him to get that wish more than I do. So um there's that. Uh, and then like I so said the, the quickly the tweet, I I think that doesn't summarize kind of summarizes it uh the best you can that like he does not want to be here. Um with that tweet, like I said, he, he uh, came out for one of our uh, friend of the show, Paulo Alves, on, on Twitter. I guess he was uh, he was googling his name or something on Twitter and, and came across the tweet. Uh, so, <laughs> James, what did you what did you think about that tweet? <laughs> and I had to give uh, Paulo a hard time this morning. Uh, do you guys keep it clean on, on the show? No, you, you can go ahead. Yeah, yeah, so I, I was like, Paulo, quick question for you, man. He's like, what? I'm like, uh, what's so fucking funny? <laughs> I had to do it to him, man. Yeah, I, I mean, it was hilarious. I, it was first thing I saw when I woke up this morning, you know, after waking up and like when I got to my phone, I was like, wow, just, just funny, man. I hope Paul is not uh, too upset. <laughs> no, about he's it. fine. No, he didn't. I talked to him. No, yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, he got into he got engagement with an NBA player. That's something, you know, right? <laughs> something. Yeah. Yeah. I was I, I think it's I was telling Jens off camera. It's a miracle that I've I've gone this long without having an NBA player interact with me at all. <laughs> like, or not, I'm sorry, interact with me negatively. I've had players interact with me, but never um F you, you you you've been talking about me like I've never had that happen before. So I think it's a miracle. But uh you anything you want to say before I get to like the last segment here and then we can kind of wrap it. Yeah, nothing else to say. You know, that last segment is a, a big talking point. I, yeah. I'll introduce it. Um Steven Silas, you know. A lot of the fan base, I don't even want to say divided. I feel like it's a large majority now that wants him just gone as the head coach. And it is a huge talking point. So, James, you know, what, what do you what do you feel about this situation with Steven Silas? Is he the right guy for the group? Man, my my brain, like, works overtime thinking about this, right? Because it, it, I, I'm very conflicted. So, I mean, the guys had a pretty rough shake of things right like he was supposed to come on here and coach two former mvp candidates in the backcourt right like that that is what he was hired to do i think he's got a relatively simple offensive structure that he would prefer to implement that's really based on like read and react principles and and i think that it works when you've got you know maybe not russell westbrook but like a james harden caliber primary playmaker right and then all of a sudden, you know, he's got what what he's currently got. And I have a hard time judging somebody um, when they fail to do an extremely difficult job. You know what I mean? It's like how – like I, I don't know that there's a coach that could be necessarily coaching this group of extremely young players who, who also need work uh, to any – you know, anywhere better. But on the flip side of it, he hasn't really – provided any evidence that like he is a good coach like like it's one thing to say that he hasn't 
shown that he's a bad coach. I, I don't think he has. I don't, I don't think it's fair to say that he has proven that he's a bad coach because of this situation. But he hasn't shown that he's a good coach either, you know? And, I mean, to be honest, man, we run pretty much the most rudimentary offense I think I've ever seen at the NBA level. Like, ever. Yeah, ever, right? I, I wrote this in a Dream Shake article. I think my rec league team uses more off-ball screening, honestly. And we're called the Pizza Boys, and we play in Division Five. You know, like, it's, it's not it's not very serious, right? Like, uh, we play hungover, you know? it's So, like, what gives with, you know, it's tough, man. It's tough. Because I also wonder, see, I can't even talk about it without rambling. I also wonder if, if it's, like, a developmental strategy. Part of me thinks this, right? It's almost like he's having them play on the hardest difficulty so that eventually they can turn the difficulty down and the guys will be used to playing on the hardest difficulty so the game will come easier to them, you know? Part of me wonders that that's the developmental strategy. It's like throw them to the wolves and just let them hoop. And then when it's time to win, we'll start introducing actual concepts and stuff. But it takes a bit of a leap of faith to accept that at the same time. So my short answer is I don't really know. But, I mean, I guess, like... Gun to my head, if I were Raphael Stone, what would I do? I'd, I'd have to be thinking about canning him by now. Where, where do you guys stand? I feel like he makes a lot of boneheaded decisions. One that I've been getting on them um, as a coaching staff and Salas in particular is playing units without your four best players. Um, Jalen, KPJ, Albert Shangun, those three alone. If they're not on the court um, at any point of the game and it's not – a blowout, it's not the fourth quarter, you know, garbage time minutes. I don't understand what he's doing. I know they went on 11 or run last game. They didn't have either of those on the floor. But I absolutely hate those minutes. I don't know how you guys feel about that. It just doesn't make sense to me. The lineup data suggests that when Sangoon is on the court without, you know, Jalen and KPJ, it's obviously they're going to run through him. Those lineups have a plus net rating for a reason. Sangoon's a good offensive player. And that goes into that last Clippers game. When they run through uh, Albert and Shangun, they look like a, a more of a functional offense, as, as James said. His D5 team probably runs a more functional offense than, than Steven Silence at times. This is how it looks, you know. They'll try to do something. If it doesn't work, they revert to ISO ball. And that's not how a young team should operate. And that's another thing I will touch on. You know, it's going to look a lot rougher on Steven Silence because he has 10 players on the roster that are 22 and younger. And the stat was a few days old, but at the point in time when the stat was pulled, the Rockets have 80% of their points coming from guys that are 23 or younger, which is first in the NBA in the top five teams in that stat all have losing records and they're all rebuilding teams. So it's not helping Steven Silas there. He's a young team. They're going to lose games naturally, as we've all you know said. It's just good to remind yourself that they have a young team. That's the reason that they're going to lose a lot of games. And I feel like regardless of the rotations at times that we will get mad at and maybe some of the play calling, it's still going to result in losses. But at the end of the day, we don't worry about losses. We want to see growth from this team. And Silas needs to put these kids in position for growth. And I think he's at the, you know, he's, he's doing the right thing so far. Like Shangun, I love that. They keep doing that going forward. The offense is going to function a lot better. And then when you see Jalen, when he's not shooting four for 17 while they run this kind of offense, and Jabari not in that shooting slump that we've mentioned, then this team looks like, you know, they can start, you know, putting some stuff together. So that's what I want to see. I want to see growth. They ran the right offense last game. Now let's get our, our star young player out of the shooting slump. And we'll see what's up. But, you know, as for Silas, I just – I need to see better rotations. I know he's big on consistency. His first year on the job, he had 30 players play, which was the NBA record. And he mentioned, like, yo, I hate this consistency. Uh, last year was a little more consistent after he got rid of dice. So I, I want him to get a consistent rotation. I want to see what he does with this rotation. 
And that way he doesn't have any excuses. Um, am I out on him right now? I don't know. I wouldn't just fire him in the middle of the season. Uh, we're cool with getting Wimby or somebody like that. You know, this is just play it out. But I, I want to see growth. You know, James agreeing with me. I see this mock. So I want to see growth. Keep running the offense rating against the Clippers last game. And boom, we, we got a recipe for success. I think I'm going to provide a, a pretty unique perspective on it. I think on Twitter, I get the label of like the, the super positive Rockets feel like everything is always good on my side and I never want to criticize these guys. But I think at this current point in time with what I've seen through, uh, I, I throw out that first year. I don't really hold him accountable for for what happened that year. Like like you said, Brad, he had 30 players. Uh, and I, I, I blame James Harden more for that year than I blame Steven Silas. So uh, that year I throw out, but from what I've seen from him, uh, since we drafted Jalen Green and through the eight games we've seen this year, it's it's been very disjointed. It's been, um, man, I, I don't really see the vision here. Um, and so I think at this current moment, I'm a lot closer to being out on him than I am on being in on him. But I still, I think he can turn it around. So I'm not saying like fire him tonight. Like he can turn it around. But at this moment, I am a lot closer to being out than I am on in on him. Um, there was, I have a quote here that he said, um, Steven Silas said the Rockets ran more isolation than he wanted to see. We told, and this is a quote from him. He says, we told them before the game, they weren't going to be able to play the same way they did in game one against the Jazz. So, man, how are you telling the team to stop running ISOs and they still do it like that? You know, that doesn't make sense to me as the head coach. If you are telling your players to do one thing and they're doing the opposite. Um, and, and I, I encourage a lot of Rockets. I talk about Rockets pretty much all day, every day. I encourage you guys to go watch rebuilding teams that aren't the Rockets play basketball. We all we we watch the Warriors and the Lakers and the Nets because those are prime time basketball. But like go watch um it's gonna be out later after this but like Orlando and OKC are gonna play tonight. I think y'all should watch that game. If you're not gonna watch the Astros let's say like watch that game if you're free and watch how two rebuilding teams play. It's it is clearly we are behind the curve. When you when you look at what those guys are doing, what we're doing, we are behind. And I, I think a lot of that can be also because they have you know those those pure uh, kind of score. I mean, not play, score first, but like pure playmakers that James was talking about, like it was SJK Cunningham. But like even beyond that, man, like they look coherent, and you can't blame it on AIDS because they're young too. Those guys are, have a bunch of guys who are drafted um, these last couple of years. It's not this. We're not the only team in the NBA. We're the youngest team, but we're not the only team in the NBA that's mainly comprised of uh first and second year players like that's we're not the only team. and on top of that like guys like jay sean tate eric gordon gary smith those guys aren't you know 20 years old so like you know what i'm saying like we're not just playing just straight 20 or 20 year old players as well um so there's that but i i think i kind of for me this is how i'm going to evaluate it um when i say what is houston rockets basketball if i cannot answer that question sometime soon he has to go because for me, I can. If you ask me what is the Warriors basketball, I can answer that. If you ask me what is what is uh, Boston Celtics basketball, I can answer that. If you ask me what's Atlanta Hawks basketball, I can I can answer a lot of these teams that are looking pretty good. I can answer that question. What is their style of basketball? What is their brand of basketball? I can tell you what the Rockets uh, style of basketball was when Mike D'Antoni was. I can tell you very clearly what that was. I can't. If you ask me right now, what how do the Houston Rockets play basketball? I can't answer that question. And I think that when you look at how unique of a rebuild that we're in, where we have to be somewhat respectable next season um, when we don't because we don't own our unprotected first round pick. It's top four protected with OKC. And I believe it's like it's like a coin flip to, if you get that pick. If you're the worst team in the NBA, which I think that most of us 
either don't want us to be the worst team in the NBA for a four season in a row or don't expect us to be the, uh, the worst team in the NBA for a four season in a row. So, like, we're, it's probably safe to say we're not going to see that pick next season. Um, it, just, just being realistic here, the odds are not in our favor to keep that pick. So, we somewhat have to, you know, be respectful. Like, one of the worst positions you can be in is to be the the worst team in the NBA and I have your draft pick to show for it. So when you have when you have that unique rebuild, I think sooner than later these guys start finding their identity and what Houston Rockets is going to look like. Because next season it's going to be time to start winning games. Like we don't need to be teaching them what our identity is next season. They should know it by then. That's what we, that's what we should have been building these last two seasons is what Houston Rockets looks like. It's, we shouldn't be figuring it out for the first time next season when we don't have our pick because they're all going to be growing pains learning that that system and learning what that looks like. So. We should be having that now, not next season when it can be like costly if we don't if we if we mess up. Um, so like I said, my question is, and I don't know, man, maybe the next 20 games, 20, 30 games or so, if we don't know what Houston Rockets basketball is, I think he has to go. And we we have to find the guy who is going to tell us what Houston Rockets basketball is so they can spend the rest of the season figuring that out. So we know going into next season what that looks like, as opposed to trying to figure that out when next season starts. So that's just kind of where I'm at on Stephen Silas right now. I, I think he can be that guy, but he has to start turning it around really quickly because it's it can get really bad really fast if he doesn't. But uh, that, that's my thoughts on, on Stephen Silas. Anybody have anyone said about Stephen Silas before we close it? Yeah, go ahead, James. Oh, no, just scratch my eyebrow, man. I think, I think oh, I'm I said, sorry. Okay. Yeah, no, I think <laughs> – I, I let me, you know what? Let me say this. I completely agree with you. And on in regards to the point of, like, I can identify the style of basketball the teams X, Y, and Z play, right? And it doesn't only apply to contending teams. Like I can tell you what Orlando Magic basketball is. Yeah, right? it, it, it's yeah, it's it's a bunch of big ball handling wings uh, making good passes for others. Like like they have an identity, right? So we need an identity, that's for sure. And it can't just be uh, well, we ISO, you know, like yeah, that's that's not really an identity. So yeah, I I, I agree with you on that front as well. Yeah, well, I want to say that was a really good point. We're going to have to clip that put it on Twitter. But what is Houston Rockets basketball? Let's dumb it down to that question. People, are, is anyone that, answering that? that, mm-hmm. that, that to, to, to me, that's the question that decides can yeah. Stephen Silas keep his job. If yeah. I can answer that question in the next 20 to 30 games, what is Houston Rockets basketball? Okay, he can stay. But if I if, if we're getting to the all-star break and I still do – like it's, it's still Houston Rockets basketball is KPJ and Jalen Green ISO at the top of the key and, and hopefully they save us. Gotta go, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll say this: it better be uh, four out, one in, run through Shangun. That's our identity. Uh, but as of right now, they're figuring it out. That's really the answer to the question. They're figuring it out, and they need to figure it out um, if they're going to lose games and rebuild. At least have an identity. And that's how you grow as a young team. You have an identity. You grow. You grow. You grow. And that's when you get better. But, hey, we figured it out. You know, we've been doing the same thing for a while. Now we have chemistry. So that's what they need to start doing: get chemistry, find a system that they want to use consistently, and boom. As I said, recipe for success. But that's all I have for this podcast. If anyone else had anything else, James, man, we really enjoyed having you on the show. Good podcast. As I always say, man, we got to get you back on the show. Um, it's a long season. Hopefully not as stressful as we've seen so far. <laughs> we got, we're yeah. Gonna- thanks. Thanks a lot, guys. I, I really enjoyed myself as well. Uh, always down in chat for sure. Appreciate yeah, it. Yeah. And again, James, for the people still listening, go ahead and plug your socials so they can find you. Yeah. Uh, I'm James Piercy 11 on Twitter. I write for the Dream Shake, uh, NBAanalysis.net, uh, affiliated with HTX Chop Shop. That's also our Twitter at and Above the Break podcast. We talk about the uh, NBA at large. Thanks. And guys, as always, I'm Brad OMBA. Catch me on Instagram and Twitter there. And make sure if you're still listening, we really appreciate you. Subscribe to the channel. We're still growing. 
monetize that thousand subscribers. Got ways to go, but we're gonna get there. So I appreciate y'all for staying tapped in. But that's it for me on the show. Appreciate you guys. Yeah, and you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Bias Houston. Uh, like I said, James, really appreciate you coming on the show. We've been trying to make this work for a while now, so I'm glad we were able to get it done. This is one of the better episodes we've had in a while. So uh, thank you for coming on. Thank you for your time, and we will see you guys next time. Peace.